At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Throughout 2023, we've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians and being reminded of the fact that Jesus has invited us on mission with him. That we would be able to spread everywhere the aroma of Christ through our lives. What a privilege and what a, a blessing, what an opportunity. And we've been talking about that all year long. In this most recent series, we've been seeing how the Apostle Paul really owned that mission and how we might learn from his example to own the mission as well as we follow Christ together and live for his glory. Now, today we're going to be in part three of this series as we look at the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, But before we look at those verses, I want to just ask everyone a question. And so I want you to, to reflect for a moment on this. This is a serious question. How many of you have a struggle of some kind that has lingered? Something that has been difficult, that has endured? Something that you may have gone before the Lord and pleaded for him to take away, and yet it still remains. It might be a person or a relationship that has been difficult and challenging to deal with. It it might be uh, some attraction to something that you know is not God's best for you, and yet you find your heart drawn there from time to time or again and again. Or perhaps it's a physical ailment where you have struggled physically as time has gone on and nothing seems to be improving it. Maybe you're dealing with chronic pain or a degenerative condition or something else. See, these things are common. When I ask that question, I'm looking around at a lot of half hands going up and a lot of of heavy hearts. I can see it in your eyes. This is a difficult thing and yet it's a common thing. As we live our lives in this world, we will struggle. What do we do with that struggle, though? What do we call that struggle? Is there any hope in the midst of the struggle? How might God use that struggle for his glory and his purpose, even for his mission in this world? Friends, that is the subject that Paul takes up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's amazing to me that we have such a personal message given to us by the Apostle Paul so that you and I who struggle, just as Paul did, might learn and be encouraged today as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I want to read these 10 verses for us, and then after I read them, I'll, I'll back up and make a couple of observations as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes and says this. He says, I must, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, 
so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, friends, in these 10 verses, we're going to see two things today that will help us make sense of this and understand how we might deal with chronic struggles in our lives. So what are those things? Well, the first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to see a most unusual secret a most unusual secret. Now, the reason why I say it's an unusual secret is because it seems as though this is the only time Paul is going to tell us about a particular experience that he had. And I say it's unusual because, honestly, in our world today, if someone had the experience that Paul describes here, we would lead with it. We would not bury it on page three. And yet Paul here And the only here seems to tell us of an experience he had that was significant. So why does he tell it here? Well, again, remember, Paul had opponents in the city of Corinth. Those that were trying to discredit his ministry. Those who were saying he wasn't a real apostle. And apparently they were boasting of some supernatural experiences that they had gone through. Well, Paul here says, I I guess I should keep going and tell you a little bit about my experiences so that you would, would understand that I really am living in relationship with God. He says, there's really nothing to be gained by this. In other words, this is not my lead card, but Paul says, I guess it's important for me to tell you about the visions and revelations that I had from the Lord. Well, what was the vision and revelation that Paul is referring to? Well, he talks here in the third person. The third person about himself. Now, sometimes sports athletes today will refer to themselves in the third person, and that induces eye rolls on our behalf. But here, Paul refers to himself in the third person as a a literary way of showing humility. He doesn't want the focus to be on him. And so he talks about a man, and in the context of these 10 verses, let us know that this man is indeed the Apostle Paul. He talks about a man who was in Christ, who 14 years prior, uh, Paul wrote this letter in roughly 56 AD. This was about 42 AD when Paul was living in Tarsus, an era of his life that we know very little about. Paul says when he was in Tarsus about 14 years ago, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, what is the third heaven? That, that's a bizarre-sounding thing. I, just a quick aside, when I spent a summer in Russia on a mission trip when I was in college, we made our own rock band, and we named it Third Heaven. So every time I see this verse, I just kind of chuckle. But we think of what, what is the, the, the third heaven that he's referring to? Well, when we think of the first heaven, we would think of the air around us, the, the sky above us. We think of the second heaven, biblically, we would be thinking of the place where the the sun, the, the moon, and the stars are. The third heaven would be where God dwells. And so Paul here is saying that he was caught up to the place where God dwells. We know that because he also calls it paradise. 
Now he says, I don't know if it was a vision or I don't know if God really had me leave the earth for a while. Paul says, I really don't know. All I know is that God ushered me into his throne room so that I could, could see him and I could, could receive a revelation from him. Paul says, this is an experience that I had. Now, what's fascinating is he says in verse 4 that this experience of seeing from heaven was something that God told him not to share. He says this man, Paul, heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. That doesn't mean that he saw something that was indescribable. It means that he saw something that God said, this is just for you, Paul. This is not something for you to pass on. We know that to be true because others would go and visit the throne room. We'll see this in a moment and would provide description for us. But Paul here sees the throne room of God and receives a revelation from God that was only for Paul, not something for him to pass along. And so when I talk about this being an unusual secret, Paul saw heaven and he didn't tell us what he saw. That's an unusual secret to keep. If, if someone today were to see heaven, they would write a book, then they would have a podcast, then they would make t-shirts, then they would, they would have an interactive walkthrough. That, that's, that's what would happen today. But Paul didn't have that experience because God told him, this vision is only for you. Now, why would God give Paul this vision only for him? John Calvin, many, many years ago, said this. He said, this thing happened for Paul's own sake. For a man who had awaiting him troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts. We saw that last week, didn't we? The difficulties that Paul went through. Had troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts. Needed to be strengthened in a special way to keep him from giving way and to help him to preserve, persevere undaunted. Fourteen years before Paul's second missionary journey, 14 years before he writes the letter to the second Corinthians, God strengthened Paul through this vision of heaven that revealed something to Paul that was just for him to see and to know. Now, Paul doesn't lean on this, though. Paul, Paul doesn't take this, this experience, this vision that he had, and, and try to dangle it in front of the Corinthians to say, listen to me because I saw heaven. As a matter of fact, Paul reiterates and says, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. In other words, Paul says, I actually saw it, I actually was there, but that is not what I am arguing before you. Instead, Paul says, I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul says, my ministry, Corinthians, is validated not by what I tell you I saw 14 years ago, but by what you have seen lived out in your midst. Paul faithfully and humbly served them and loved them and taught them about Christ. And that is why they should listen to him. Not because of something that happened 14 years ago that he never told them about until now. Paul makes this clear. Now, is it really an unusual experience to be ushered into the third heaven? 
Well, in one sense, absolutely yes. We only know a a couple of people who had this experience. We know of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, where he sees the throne room of God, and, and they're singing holy, 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 and he says, woe is me, the person of unclean lips. Right? We, we, we know of this passage. Isaiah was there. The apostle John was there. You know, last year in 2022, we walked through the book of Revelation in chapters 4 and 5. We see Jesus is the Lord of heaven. We know that because John saw heaven and he saw Jesus as the Lord of heaven. And so John has seen heaven. And here we see the apostle Paul ushered into the third heaven, into paradise, seeing the throne room of God in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. But friends, there's, a, there's an interesting little clue, I think, that Paul gives us into something wonderful. And that is that those in Christ will eventually see this place as well. We see this because Paul refers to himself as the one who is in Christ. In other words, Paul's ticket to the throne room of God was not the fact that he was Saul of Tarsus. It was the fact that he was in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he would get to see the wonders of heaven. And and friends, if, if we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, guess what we have a hope of one day? Not like necessarily this afternoon, though the Lord may have a timetable like that for some. Friends, one day, eventually, we will see God's dwelling as well. And so we have this great hope. And yet Paul keeps this as a most unusual secret. So I want to just quickly make a couple of observations about this related to ministry, related to our mission. If we were to own it, what would it look like? Well, it's interesting here that that Paul doesn't leverage 14 years ago. And, And I don't think we should either, right? When you think of having a ministry right now in your life, the thing that qualifies you for that ministry is not the education you got years ago. Your neighbors don't really care, right? They don't, they don't really care if you led a Bible study in college. They don't. What, what, are, they, what are they looking for? How do you treat them? How do you care for them? Who's the one that you're pointing them to? We, we, we in ministry don't look back to our glory days and say, because I had this time this season, I was once a youth group leader. I once led a group to Young Life Camp. So listen to me, people. No, that's, that's not the way being on mission for Christ works today for the follower of Christ. We have something better. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let them see Jesus in you today. Don't leverage 14 years ago. Not that God didn't do things 14 years ago in our lives or longer to prepare us for his ministry through us today, but serve him today. Love others today in Jesus' name and in Jesus' ways and in his power. Second thing, leverage the now. Leverage the now. Let your life be a living testimony. Let your words be an ongoing evidence, that an arrow that points people to Jesus. Again, this is what Paul said. He says, I'm going to be speaking the truth so that what you see and hear from me would point others to Christ. Friends, 
a most unusual secret. What the Lord did in Paul's past, what the Lord does in our past, and yet we are called to serve others today, to love others today. So that's the first thing that we see. But a second thing that we see is really significant. And we see this in verses 7 through 10. And that is a most unusual gift. A most unusual gift. Now I say it's an unusual gift because most people don't call thorns gifts. And yet Paul here talks of it in terms of a gift. He talks of it in terms of something that points him to grace. And so what do we see in these verses? Well, we see here this, this talk of a thorn. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, what is the thorn? Well, Tony Evans helps us a little bit with this. Uh, his definition of thorn, I think, is helpful. He says, a thorn is something or someone that painfully nags or irritates one's humanity on a continuous basis. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a good description, is it not? It is something or someone that painfully nags or irritates one's humanity on a continuous basis. Now, let's get a little more technical. When we look at the word for thorn, the original word, the original language, it actually can have two different meanings. It can either mean a splinter or a stake. Now, when I say splinter, sometimes you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of minor. No, I don't mean like, you know, just some little thing in the tip of your finger. I mean like, if anybody ever gotten like a big splinter, like some big old, you know, a tornado blows a big piece of wood in your hand kind of splinter, Right? That's the idea. It's something that is, has pierced your skin, that is causing pain. And every time you touch with that hand, it hurts. Or every time you walk on that leg, it hurts because of the presence of that thorn. It's something that is ongoing. It's something that is painful. That is one of the uses of that word. A second use of the word thorn, though, is that for that of a tent stake. It's something that is driven into the ground to anchor something to the earth. Friends, when we look at the use of thorn in chapter 12, verse 7, I, I really think both meanings are in, in play. Both meanings are in view. Paul here talks about the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he has seen that might cause him to be really dependent upon himself, might cause him to be conceited in some way, and God has allowed a thorn or a stake to drive him back to earth to keep him from floating up in the clouds of ecstasy, but living a, a normal life in dependence upon Christ. In that sense, it's like a stake. But in another sense, it is like a thorn or a splinter because Paul talks about it causing a nagging pain that endures and stays. So he talks about this thorn and he talks about the fact that this thorn was given to him. It was given to him. Now, given to him by who? Who has, has given this thorn to Paul? Or, or to say it another way, who has allowed this thorn to persist in Paul's life? We might guess that perhaps this is Satan because of his name mentioned following. But friends, I would say that it's actually God himself. 
It is God who is sovereign over all. It is God that Paul is pleading to to remove this. It is God is the one who can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And it is God who has allowed this thorn to remain in Paul's life. So Paul here talks about how God in his sovereign will has allowed this thorn to remain. For what purpose? Well, he mentions it twice. To keep him from becoming conceited. To keep him from relying in his own strength. This nagging irritant in his life kept Paul humble. Kept Paul dependent upon Christ. And in that sense, it was a gift Because a life dependent on Christ is better than a life independent of Christ all the time. And so God has given him something that is driving him to his knees in dependence upon him. Now, what is the role of Satan in this? Well, Satan is the messenger. This reminds me, friends, of the book of Job where Satan asks to to, to test Job, the servant of God. And God allows it under restrictions, under his sovereignty, in order for God's glory to be shown through Job's life in the world. In the same way, God allows difficulties to come into our lives, even at times difficulties that have impact from Satan himself, or his demons. This idea of a messenger of Satan is is not really Satan. It's more a demon coming in Satan's name. The word messenger is also the word for angel. Somebody who is sent from Satan. Something that is sent from Satan to to cause difficulty to Paul, to, to harass him in some way. God has allowed that in order to drive Paul to his needs. Satan wanted to destroy Paul with this. God wanted to make Paul dependent upon him. Satan wanted to destroy him. God wanted to give him even more life and vitality and ministry. And so God allows this in his life. Now, what was the thorn? That's the question we all have, isn't it? Everybody wants to know, what was the thorn? Well, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it by telling you that we don't know. We don't know. It's kept almost intentionally vague so that we might apply it in a number of different directions. But let me give you the the three leading possibilities of what it might be. One of those possibilities is a physical malady, a physical malady, something that that it was a a physical problem that Paul had. You might have heard it said, this is Paul talking about his difficulty with his eyesight or epilepsy or seizures. This idea is anchored back to verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, where it says that someone is delivered over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Physical challenges here being mentioned in this direction. It's, it's possible that what is being referred to here is a physical problem that Paul had. It's also possible that what is being referred to here is a human opponent of Paul's. Someone who was causing him grief and difficulty. This is what we saw really last week in the beginning parts of chapter 11 when he says, uh, and, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul is here talking about the fake apostles who are attacking him in Corinth. He says, it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So perhaps he here is talking about 
people who are in the orbit of Paul who God allows to stay there for the purpose of humbling Paul. Or a third possibility is some particular attraction to sin. We see this in in places like chapter 11 and verse 3 where it talks about being led astray from the pure devotion to Christ, from something that looks appealing, just as the apple was to Eve in the garden. These are all things that, that believers have postulated as possibilities for the thorn. If you ask me to say which one I think it is, my, my strongest guess would be that it is a human opponent of some kind, is what Paul is referring to. I think that fits best within the context. But friends, I think it's kept a little bit general for the purpose of us being able to see that the lingering challenges of our lives are opportunities for us to rely upon our Lord. Now we see this as we we look at what Paul's response to this thorn was. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Now, I don't think this is Paul here saying, you know, I I prayed three different times. I prayed on Monday, I prayed on Tuesday, and I prayed on Wednesday, and guess what? It was still there, so I guess it's just going to be there forever. I think three times is Paul here talking in in a broad sense, again and again, over and over. I was asking God to remove it. But rather than Paul saying, I guess God's not home. I guess the line is busy. I guess he doesn't care. Instead, he gives us an insight to the unanswered prayers of the lingering issues in our lives. Amen? What he says is, he asked three times that it would leave him, but God's response was not to substitute his thorn for flesh that doesn't hurt. Instead, it wasn't to substitute, it was to transform It was to give him transformative grace and power to be able to walk faithfully through that moment in a way that would give glory and honor to God. Warren Wiersbe helps us a lot with this when he he says this. He says, in the Christian life, we get many of our blessings through transformation and not substitution. Sometimes God does meet the need by substitution. By substitution, again, we're we're saying here that God would take away the pain and give us wholeness now. That's the substitution he's referring to. But he says sometimes God does meet the need by substitution, but other times he meets the need by transformation. He does not remove the affliction, but he gives us his grace so that the affliction works for us and not against us. Now, that is remarkable to think about. Think of the things that you have prayed for that don't seem to be changing. And you think, God, where are you in this? This verse tells us where God is. God is giving us his grace in this moment, not to substitute, but to transform us so that his power might be known by us and by those around us. Now, this is the pattern that we have seen throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. This is not unique or new to uh, chapter 12. We saw it all the way back in, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where Paul was talking about his difficulties in Asia. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How do we learn resurrection power? We learn it through the grave. And we saw this also in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. Our lives are not perfect. Our lives have cracks like a, like a, like a clay jar. But those cracks create the opportunity for the light to shine through us into the world. Friends, Paul understood and reminded the Corinthians again and again and again. That sometimes God allows pain and difficulty to linger so that we might rely on him, so that we might receive his transformative power to work in and through us in our hour of need. This is what he says in verses 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Thank you, God, for the thorn, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. That long list we saw last week, Paul says, I can deal with that because when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, what a, an amazing, amazing perspective on life that lets us know where God is and what he's up to when we keep, keep getting poked again and again or when we are driven to the earth by a stake of experience. So how do we apply this difficult truth? Well, I want to just ask a few questions. First question I want to ask is this. What pain has God allowed in your life? We don't need to airbrush it out. Let's be honest. What pain has he allowed? What pain has he allowed to stay there? Linger like a thorn in our flesh. Second thing, plead with the Lord to take it away. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul um, tells us that he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Some, some look at these verses and say, Paul's just some kind of masochist. He just likes pain. No, he doesn't. He's pleading with God to take this away. But he recognizes the fact that the thorn lingers. Therefore, the Lord must have another purpose. He must be up to something else. And what he's up to is driving us to dependence upon him. So we can plead with the Lord to take it away. But if he doesn't, first of all, if he does, praise God. Let's celebrate that. But if he doesn't, what? Well, see it as an opportunity for God's grace to show up in transformative, not substitution kinds of ways. That the Lord might sustain you. That his power might be known in your weakness. Friends, this is what God has for us. You know, sometimes we think God is just not listening. He just doesn't care. It's not true. It's not true. That's a lie. The Lord does care. Just sometimes he allows the pain to linger so that we might depend upon him, so that his glory might be felt by us and known in the world. Romans eight twenty eight says it beautifully. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. What are the all things? It includes the thorns. Those things that Satan thinks he is taking us out with, we can say, not today, Satan. You're not going to take me out with that. God has allowed this sovereignly to remain so that I might live in dependence upon you. Friends, we need to begin to view those thorns in our lives as most unusual gifts. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word today. Thank you for the hope that we see in it. Thank you for your involvement in the pain and the difficulty of our lives. Lord, I look around the room. I I think of all of the physical infirmities that people are dealing with. I think of the the pain and the difficult relationships and the people that have have caused challenge around this room, uh, the people in their lives. And Lord, I, I just, my heart breaks for them as a pastor, but I'm so thankful that in the midst of those challenges, that you are present at times to substitute for something else and at other times to transform them in the moment so that your glory might be known. Thank you for that gift. Lord, we, we lean upon you. We depend upon you. And Lord, we, we, we think now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, um, we, are, we are mindful that it is in Christ that this power is known. And so, Lord, we come to you now. We pray that as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that we would be reminded of your strength that shows up in the midst of our weakness. Through the cross, through the work of the Spirit in our lives, we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.